And Dana started her career as a dental hygienist, which is how I met her. She later earned her master's of science in order to become a professor of dental hygiene. Along her path to professorship, Dana stumbled into the myofunctional world after taking a continuing education course, which discussed oral myofunctional disorders. During this course, she realized that her long-standing tension migraines were not just from stress or her vocation alone, but stemmed from her dysfunctional facial and tongue muscles. Seeing the benefits of myofunctional therapy on her own sleep and migraine issues, Dana shifted gears and became certified in myofunctional therapy. It is now her passion to help others find the root cause of their sleep issues, fatigue, and tension. I am really excited for this interview and for you to hear this episode because I learned a ton and I know you're going to learn a lot too. If you're someone who has struggled with migraines or ongoing tension headaches, sleep issues, um, ADHD, man, this is going to be a fascinating episode for you. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to up-level your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today on the Nutrition Edit, I am going to be talking with Dana Tasha. Dana is an orofacial myofunctional therapist based in Bellevue, Washington. Welcome back to the Nutrition Edit, everybody. Today, my guest is the fabulous Dana Tasha. Welcome, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm, I am really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. You know, we've been talking through this whole journey of yours through your master's program and everything. I'm so fascinated by the work you do, and I'm really excited for you to share it with our listeners today. So everybody, I'll give you a little bit of history. So Dana has been my <laughs> dental hygienist for... That's right. What, like 10 years? Something at like least that? At least 10 years. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We've been friends for at least a decade. Intimately. I know your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Great teeth, by the way, everybody is listening. <laughs> Just immaculate, immaculate home care. So I, I'm oh, well, impressed. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I finally got the water pick thing going. Yes. So um, you'd be proud of me. Hey, yeah. like health starts in the, the oral environment. So there you go. Absolutely. Maybe one day we'll do a whole episode on the oral microbiome. I think that could be really I could talk on that for hours. Fabulous. Yep. All right. Great. We've got it on the books then. <laughs> so what we're talking about today is your new career, your new undertaking. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what myofunctional therapy is. Okay. Give us a little history of how you got into this, how you discovered it, et cetera. Well, there are several names for myofunctional therapy, like the longest name is orofacial myofunctional therapy. So oro is, you know, mouth, facials, face, and then myo is muscle, right? So it's really physical therapy for the muscles of the face and the mouth. So including like the tongue and even some of the neck muscles. Um, so we call it like that the orofacial complex is essentially what I'm working with. So essentially I'm helping people with sleep issues, with tongue thrust. So a tongue thrust is one that you swallow when your tongue pushes forward on your front teeth, and that can cause lots of crowding and facial growth issues. 
um, and helping people with digestive issues, ADHD symptoms, or just there's kind of a plethora of things because if you think about it, the muscles of your face and your tongue really dictate how you grow and develop when you're a child. And then depending on that growth and that habit, whatever has been habituated when you're a kid, if that goes into adulthood, now you still have that oral dysfunction. So you either have what we call low tongue posture, which is your tongue is sitting low in your mouth all the time, which is actually not healthy. That's not how we should properly function. Or you're having constant mouth breathing. So I actually help people stop that habit and I help them work on nasal breathing. So you're really working on these muscles of the face in the mouth in the neck to come back to normal function. Another dysfunction, how I ended up getting into it was I was having incredible tension migraines. Mm, so I think if awful. you think of like a dental hygienist, you know, we're bending over people all day and like my neck is cranked and my arms are up in this weird like chicken wing position, right? Yeah. So for years, because I've been doing dental hygiene for 13 years, I, I just thought, well, it's my job, you know, like no matter what, how many, I mean, I am a chronic massage person. <laughs> I was going to massage therapists, like physical therapy, rolfing. I don't know if you know, like they work with yes, fascia. I had a lot of so I was like deep into this, like like body working world because I was having so many tension migraines. Like every time I would stop working, I would wake up and I would just have this crazy tension migraine starting from the nape of my neck, like where the occipital region is and like wrap around and like be in one eye. And I would be nauseous. I can't think clearly like, and you're just kind of in this weird all the time. So for me, I'm like, oh, it's my job. Dental hygiene is just difficult. And I was talking to a friend who took a CE course in myofunctional therapy. And I'm like, well, this sounds intriguing. I'll do it too. So during this course, as I'm like learning all of these dysfunctional patterns and like, what are the signs and symptoms? We call them OMDs, oral myofunctional disorders. I'm thinking about myself and I'm like this, literally I'm checking like every box. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, uh, my tongue's low. Didn't even know that it was supposed to be in the roof of my mouth. Like what's that all about? Um, tension headaches. Uh, shoulder, neck tension, all of the above, like poor sleep. I thought I was just getting old and 37. And I thought it was stress from old, right? my master's program. So I was like, I have poor sleep because I'm getting old and I'm stressed out and I have a, a physical job. And learning about myofunctional therapy and how it actually helps people with breathing and oral function, I was like, that's me. And, and that was me as a kid, like total mouth breather, Snored mm. as a kid, had to have double upper and lower expansion because my palate was so narrow from mouth breathing for years. And that turned into migraines as an adult in poor sleep quality. So I started taking courses and getting certified in it and testing it on myself. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what we all do as scientists. Right. Guinea pigs. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. the same way. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll see if this is a bunch of crap. And it took a lot of work and a lot of awareness and just, it was difficult at first because you have to just constantly be thinking about it, but it was wonderful for me. Like now a year, over a year later, I'm like at two years, my sleep is way different And just, just learning. And like, we'll talk about like other things that we work with people in it's changed my sleep quality. I don't get migraines anymore, which is unbelievable. I've, I've not had braces since I haven't like changed anything like physically in my mouth other than like doing exercises and, and changing my breathing patterns. But yeah, and I'm still like, I'm still a hygienist, right? I still work yeah. crazy amount yeah. of hours. So it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm like, everybody needs to know about this. This is an important thing to tell children and adults. Yeah. It's incredible. I have so many clients that struggle with migraines. It's mm -hmm. really common. And often 
they only have the symptoms addressed, right? Just the migraine. Like people are treating the symptom without looking at what could be the root causes of this. Totally. And, you know, sure, I'm I'm sure that there are other possible root causes of migraines besides this, but speak in a little bit to what are some of the other common conditions? So if people have migraines, that's definitely a big one. Mm -hmm. You mentioned sleep. Yeah. Talk a little bit about... I know you'd mentioned tongue ties yeah. and where your, your tongue is sitting low. Uh-huh. Talk a little bit more about that. I'm fascinated because you told me that I have a small tongue tie and I was like, oh, okay. And I tend to be a mouth breather when I sleep. Uh-huh. You know, had braces, had terrible crooked teeth as a kid. Yeah. I did have migraines actually all the way through, not super frequently, but I would say maybe halfway through high school. Mm-hmm. I think they probably stopped when I was about 15 or 16. Yeah. But it was often triggered by low blood sugar for me mm-hmm. because I would just be out running around and forget to eat and whatever mm-hmm. active kid. But I would get that awful, you know, Oops. what they call the aura, the aura kind yeah. of thing and lose my vision. And I would just have to sleep it off. I couldn't be in lights. Um, I'd have to go into a dark room. And it was pretty debilitating. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm so grateful they didn't happen frequently. But many of the people that I, I know who do suffer from migraines that can take them out for days at a time. Anyway, so talk a little bit more about that because I'm really fascinated by the idea (laughs) of the tongue position and the mouth breathing. Yes. So I'm curious to know how that works. I'm going to slowly unravel that because there's layers to this. So let's start with proper tongue position. Okay. So I'm a visual person. I'll show you something, but I'll be explaining what it looks like. So this this is a mouth. So our mouth is a U shape, right? Like the, let's just say, so we call this like my, your upper palate or the roof of your mouth is a U shape. Okay. Your tongue is actually an organ. It is four paired muscles. It's a hydrostat. So a muscular hydrostat, which is kind of like, if you think about like an octopus's limb, you know, there's no yeah. bony structure yet. It can do like dynamic movements, which is pretty fantastic. Or like an elephant's trunk, which is pretty crazy. Okay. Okay. Sure. So it will fill any space kind of like pancake batter. Now, it should be up in the roof of your mouth, and we we call it lingual palatal suction. So it should be suction to the roof of your mouth, creating this like vacuum intraorally, like in your hmm. mouth cavity, right? Sure. The reason it's for that is against the if it's not up here all the time, so let's say when you're a child and it's not suctioned to the roof of your mouth, your cheeks are always pressing in. And as your little cranium develops, this nice U shape becomes more of a V shape. So we call it like a very uh-huh. narrow palate. So now look at your tongue space is now restricted. So the more your mouth breathing or your tongue is low, it's not up in your palate like a natural retainer. Your jaw starts to develop improperly. And then the space kind of keeps on continuing to get smaller and smaller. And now that suction becomes harder and harder to achieve. Okay. Okay. So that's why you see little kids going into expanders. The reason why this is so important to breathing is, A, mouth breathing is just terrible. You know, there's so much research on it nowadays that James Nestor has a great book called Breath, which everybody should read just yeah. to like have, it's a good introduction to why nasal breathing is important. She has some things that I don't agree with, but like, that's a great book to start with. Okay. Yeah. And I will, I'll give you that link too. The other thing. So now we've got the tongue up there. The tongue should be there during the day. So if you right now, like, Suction your tongue to the roof of your mouth. You make that like TikTok sound and make it really yeah. sticky in your palate. You can't breathe through your mouth when it's suctioned. Okay, so it gives you 
a little lift of the chin. Sure. It looks up and nice. That kind of double chin effect yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. When your tongue is low, you have more of a double chin effect because you have all that big, giant, massive tissue just floating at the base of your mouth. So tongue up in the palate is good for nasal breathing. And the reason why we want to nasal breathe is because when you nasal breathe, this up in your paranasal sinuses, up in that passage, that's where nitric oxide is produced. Uh, nitric oxide is so important for it transports oxygen into the lungs via CO2. Like you need carbon dioxide. It's actually an important element. But when mm -hmm. you nasal breathe, you get a, a deeper breath to your, in, down into the depths of your lungs. So slower, deeper breaths. You bring that nitric oxide down in there and it helps the CO2 bind with the oxygen molecule. And CO2, when it binds with the oxygen molecule, that's what's pushing it into your vessels and into your organs. So without okay. oxygen yeah. binding with the CO2, like you don't have oxygen. So kind of to go back to that is if you don't have proper oral rest posture, which is the tongue suctioned up into your palate, you get the poor facial growth because you don't have the tongue supporting all the bony structures when you're developing. Um, and therefore you can't maintain that suction and mouth breathing ensues. Hello, nutrition editors. If you've been listening and you're ready to put this work into practice in your own life, head over to joliverwellness.com and book a free 30-minute chat to learn more about coaching with me or to check out my self-study programs. I also invite you to join my email list where you'll hear from me a few times each month with recipes and strategies for reducing stress, improving your metabolic health, and working out smarter, not harder. Subscribers will also receive exclusive offers in my programs that I don't share anywhere else, and you'll get early access to registration for my Body Liberation Together group program. I look forward to connecting with you, and let's get back to the show. Mouth breathing, it also triggers the sympathetic nervous system, so fight yes. or flight. So you're kind of in this constant panic when you're mouth breathing without knowing it. You have that upper chestal breathing, which is really bad. Right. Um, in, you know, in contrast, nasal breathing, you're in the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's telling your body rest and digest, like you're safe, you're calm, you're good to go. So the whole kind of migraine connection is really deep because if we have poor breathing in the day, you're going to have poor breathing at night. So if you are kind of not oxygen, you can be oxygen deprived when you're sleeping, but let's say that that tongue that should be suctioned in your palate now is is low and falling to the back of your throat, you're going to have interrupted sleep. You're not going to have that deep, beautiful, restorative sleep, you know, to the, like stage three mm, and then also right. stage sleep, which we need to repair our muscles and our bones and, and our brain connects and our memory is actually improved in that those stages as well. So you are constantly woken up in those stages in migraines can happen from that. And that's when we normally see clenching and grinding. Yeah. And it's that Ugh. bruxism is what we go. <laughs> it's the I'm raising my hand because I tend to clench and grind. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. that's your body's way of saying like, I can't breathe. Or it's also saying like your teeth are not fitting properly together. So it's mm -hmm. also clenching and grinding. So we can't just say it's just because of breathing. There's so many factors in that. Okay. So Dana, you were just talking about the, what did you call yep. it? Lip tie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell us. Well, there can be about lip that. ties or tongue ties. Um, if you have a like an upper lip tie, if it's really tight, which mine is, uh, when you smile, and this is what happens to me when I smile, my upper lip kind of disappears, and you can see more of like a gummy appearance. If you're, mm -hmm. we call it the freedom. If the freedom or the tie is tight enough, we can have that clipped. Well, you, they can use a laser, super simple, really fast, 
and it changes your smile dynamic. So when I smile after I get mine done, my upper lip will have more fullness to it and I won't have as much of a gummy smile. So it can be a cosmetic thing. For me, it's more because I can't really, I have trouble closing my lips without my muscles having to compensate because mm-hmm. it's restricted from movement. The tongue okay. tie and why that's important is we talk about suctioning to the palate, right? Like I want that tongue to function properly in the palate and, and always be there so you can breathe better, opens the airway, brings the tongue out of the throat. If your tongue is restricted by that little lingual freedom or the lingual tie, like it's really short or it's really like far back or right to the tip of the tongue, if it's restricting the tongue from going up and suctioning to your palate, then your tongue's always going to want to be dropping lower. And that's the little kind of thing underneath. Fleshy kind of vertical uh-huh. thing that connects your tongue exactly. to your mouth. We all have a yeah. tongue tie. We really only want to clip them or do surgery on them if you're not functioning properly. So a lot of myofunctional Got therapists it, yeah. have gotten the rap of like, we're just going to clip everybody's tongue ties because that's what we do. Not really. We don't mm-hmm. want to do that unless you're, if, if it's impeding you from functioning and you're actually getting a lot of tension from your tie, because that the freedom, that tongue tie is made out of fascia. So your body has bone and around the bone is muscle and around that muscle is the fascia. It's like a very like thin sheet of like plastic. It looks like plastic wrap around your muscles. When that's really tight, you have all that like tightness underneath your chin, right? And you have musculature down there. So when you're swallowing 900 times a day and that fascia is really tight on that tongue, you're pulling, pulling, pulling. These muscles on the side of the neck pull to the back of that occipital region of the neck, base of the skull. This is why I was getting migraines. So every time I was swallowing, I was thrusting and my tongue wasn't functioning properly because I didn't know how to swallow properly. I know that sounds insane to say, but (laughs) you're swallowing. The tip of your tongue should always be right behind your front teeth on the tissue where that little bump is. I don't know if you can feel it with the tip of your tongue. There's like a little tiny bump like right on the gums behind your two front teeth and the upper. That's the Mm -hmm. spot. The middle of your tongue should always be in contact with the palate as well as like far as back as you can go with the tongue. Okay. And then when you swallow, you should have like a wave-like pattern starting from the tip of the tongue, like going waving to the back of the throat. You should be able to swallow without any facial movement whatsoever. So hmm, that's it. All right. So no like no lips curling or cheeks pushing in. So with a tongue tie, if someone has a very restricted tongue tie and they are unable to function and I can't get them, no matter how many exercises we do, to push the tongue to the palate, when we clip that, here's what's crazy. And I, oh, I'm glad we're mentioning this now is a lot of people, after they get their tie released, they, they're like, wow, I can, I feel like for the first time in my life, I can take a deep breath. So if you oh, think wow. about it, and I can send you a picture of this link, they did a whole dissection of a body, but the fascia, the frontline fascia in our body, it's all connected in the front line. It starts at the base of the tongue, the freedom, and it wraps down the whole neck down and it wraps around your lungs and wraps around your diaphragm. So if you have this like swallowing, 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 it's tight, tight, tight. We get a lot of people with this like forward head posture. So it's trying to open the airway and you get a lot of like rolled shoulders yeah. look. So if that's you, like check your airway, check what's going on in your mouth. And we get a lot of those people saying like, I just have never been able to take a super deep breath. Like they're also like, like it's weird. Like they feel they want to take a deep breath, but it's not really happening because that fascia stemming from your tongue that is so restricted and, and functioning improperly it's tightening that fascia all the way down to your front line of your body. So like I said, around the diaphragm, down to your knee, down to your big toe is where this fascia goes. So we'll see lots of like back aches, neck aches. It's just, it's distorting your posture because the fascia is tight. I have people see body specialists during therapy too, to help with the musculature movement and exercises that we do. 
that can help, but I will be getting um, a tongue tie surgery at some point. Okay. We'll have to have you back after that. You can how tell us how that goes and what you So for me to give a quick are, little thing, because so. you were always like, well, what's wrong with you? I will need to get expansion. <laughs> My palate is too narrow still, even after I had expansion as a kid. I just don't have enough tongue space. So I will need to get some expansion, adult expansion. There are certain orthodontists that do this wonderfully and there's others that don't. So don't just go to anybody. After the expansion, then I would do the tongue tie release so that my tongue has space to go. And I would do therapy again on myself. I'd probably go to an actual, like a friend because therapy on yourself is always the best thing. <laughs> and then, yeah, then th there we go. That's kind of my, my plan of action for my own self. But a lot of the migraines from poor sleep, or it's the oxygenation factor. Like you're not getting deep sleep and your brain is actually starving for oxygen. So it makes sense as to why your body would shift into that sympathetic state. Totally. Right? It's going yep. uh, panicking. <laughs> Hello, Panic. yeah. emergency, I need oxygen. Mm -hmm. Something else that you mentioned there that's fascinating to me is the memory factor. Yeah. Because, well, and you know, we won't go down the rabbit trail with this yet because I want you to talk about ADHD a little bit later. Yeah. But I've always had a terrible memory. I mean, always. It's not like something that's just onset now in my 40s and I should be freaking out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember as a kid just being like, huh, like friends would talk about, oh, remember when we did this or that or the other thing? And I'd be like, no, nope. nope. No, yeah. I don't. So that maybe is part of what was causing that. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I have a stat here actually, for if you want to go into the ADHD thing, but so OSA, so obstructive sleep apnea, they have looked at a bunch of patients in 20 to 30% of just the OSA patients, they reported ADHD, like diagnosis. Okay. Mm. I think ADHD is okay. underdiagnosed. And like some of these studies are back in like 2017, 2018, but then 95% of those OSA patients were showing attention deficit, like symptoms, like actual, like, yeah. So they weren't diagnosed yet, but they all had these like brain fog, like can't think. It's kind of like yeah. chronic fatigue and like ADHD, like mixed together is what a lot of right. people, a lot of my patients that I see come in with. Um, Good times. Yeah. Cause it's, Myofunctional therapy, even though I we say it's like it's physical therapy for the muscles of the face and the mouth, it's really it's our main goal. And like the spotlight is on airway. It's on your airway so that we can get you to sleep, because if your airway is obstructed either in the day or the night, like I think that's a game changer, right? Like you yeah. you could be working out all day and eating super healthy. But if you're not repairing, it's right. You're kind of that's your that's our foundation. So. That's really what we're looking for. So I would say that I'm more of a detective to find root causes. Like, why is your airway dysfunctioning? Like, do you actually have obstructive sleep apnea, which is, you know, that we look at like different like levels of sleep in a sleep study, or do you have what's called upper airway resistance syndrome, which is also dubbed like skinny fit girl sleep syndrome. <laughs> we fall under that. So that one, upper airway resistance syndrome or UARS. These are the people like you and me that let's say we, we have poor sleep quality, but we take a mm -hmm. sleep study and we don't really hit any of like the limits that would qualify us for even like slight or mild sleep apnea. Okay. But there is an actual obstruction in like this, like the upper airway. So either like in the back of the throat or like the esophageal area, like the trachea. So there's now, something happening. Mm -hmm. Clarify a little, Dana, what you mean by obstruction. Because okay. I think something's stuck in your throat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obstructive, obstructive sleep apnea normally is like the simplest way to put it is your tongue is falling to the back of your throat and it's literally obstructing the airway. Like the airway is closed. Okay. 
So you, ha- you like stop breathing. And then you had these like arousals. Scary. Yeah. Like yeah. people will like say like, I wake up like <clears throat> gasping. So that's obstructive sleep apnea. And there's, you know, mild, moderate, severe. And normally people are, are like shoved right onto like a CPAP device. Right. Um, and then there's upper airway resistance syndrome, which falls under the whole like sleep disordered breathing umbrella. And that one is your hypopnea index, like how much your body is like desatting through the night. So if you were to get a sleep study, they'd be like, you're fine. Like you don't have sleep apnea. But you're like, but I still feel gross and I'm not sleeping well. And I feel groggy in the morning and I'm forgetful and I'm getting these migraines. Like, what do you, what do I do? And they're like, you're getting older. I think that's what a lot of. (laughs) Um, I love that. You're getting older. How many things have us women heard that answer? All the time. To different complaints. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, it's crazy. So that one, and that's mainly what we see in a lot of these little kids that I work with and then the adult patients that I work with as well. Like they're they're falling under the radar, so they're not going to be diagnosed as OSA patient. And they're confused as to why their sleep quality is so poor. But there are tests that you can take to figure out if you have UARS. And I can, I'll link uh, that in your show notes if you want me to. Yeah, it's perfect. It's really, it's cool if, if people want to do it. And why do they call it, what did you say, skinny girl? Oh, skinny fit girl. Yeah, because normally, <laughs> so girl. when they look at like OSA, like they're like, are you a dude? Because they're at higher instance for sleep apnea. Are you overweight? And what's your neck circumference? And then like we walk into the room and like, you know, we're skinny, we're fit. Our neck circumference is small and we're female. Mm-hmm. So we, and pretty much all the studies in OSA are male derived so it's just hard to find a diagnosis for those people unless you get a sleep medicine doctor who is willing to look a little deeper into those like metrics and to be like, let's let's figure out like what you have. And like they might have to do a different type of sleep study on you. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really, really interesting. I'm curious too, if that's going on, you know, I wear an aura ring, which I always refer to because I'm kind of obsessed with it and yes. I'm really data driven. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've had a, an episode yet where I haven't brought up my aura ring. Um <laughs> Hello, Aura. Like, hook me up, guys. I know. But, seriously, you can talk. <laughs> right? Yeah. I need a lot more followers for that. <laughs> but I really don't recover as well as I ought to. Mm-hmm. And my sleep has improved greatly over the last few years. Yeah. Actually, since wearing this, I, I'm able to kind of move, you know, pull different levers in my lifestyle, yeah. eating, timing, all of these things to get better quality sleep for sure. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, does this play a role if someone's dealing with this in them maybe struggling to get the results or the increase in lean muscle mass that they're working for in their workouts and they're just not seeing it? For sure. I think there's that. There's there's the whole like metabolism talk of like, I think you had mentioned it in your email. It was like hormones are affected by your sleep, you know, insulin levels, cortisol levels, all of that. But you're right because if you're constantly... Stage one sleep is like, I'm falling asleep. It takes like one to seven minutes, normally for people. Sometimes it's longer. And then you go to stage two, which is like your heart rate starts to slow, like your muscles start to relax. You can still be woken up very easily at that stage. Um, Nothing is being repaired yet. Stage three is like heart rate now is is much lower. Like your body temperature drops. Muscles are like almost paralyzed. And that's when the restoration happens. But if you're constantly being woken up in that period, because now that your muscles have relaxed, your muscles in your neck and in your mouth, if they don't have good tone and in, in like function, when they relax and you don't have that suction of your palate to your tongue anymore, 
now you're creating this obstruction. So the dysfunction of the muscles is essentially like it's waking you up because you're choking yourself out. So when we we talk about like your recovery, like recovery is all in stage three in REM. So if you're constantly having like broken stage three in REM, like then your body can't repair. That makes so much sense. And I find that I, even if I get enough time in my deep sleep Mm -hmm. and REM, the point at which my heart rate is dropping to its lowest. Yeah. Takes a really long time. Yeah. And it's like only an hour or two before I'm waking mm-hmm. up when it should be dropping much earlier yeah. in the yeah. night. So but that and explains a lot. The interesting part is the beginning of our night is is full is like a lot of stage three. And then as the night goes on, stage three gets smaller and smaller. And then REM gets bigger and bigger. So mm-hmm. they kind of like hand, hand it off to each other a little bit. And there's a lot of stuff like just with breathing that you can do to kind of help stay in those stages because we kind of talked about upper chestal breathing and mouth breathing. If your body's doing that in the day, it's going to want to do that in the nighttime. So you're really trying to like train your body in the day for sleep, which sounds interesting, right. but we don't really think about it that way, right? Like we just think whatever I do sure. in the day is going to make me healthy, but like whatever my sleep is doing, like I have no control. And I think we have more control with our sleep than we think. And I think the aura ring is Absolutely. great because it's giving you cool metrics. But if you have like the hallmarks of upper airway resistance syndrome, it's not going to show that on there. So it's not going to show those little arousals that are keeping you mm. out of those stages. So that's right. what I would okay. love. I would love a ring that could look at that. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. kidding. Mm-hmm. No kidding. It does have a new reading that they've added that's, I'm not looking at my app now, but it's like an oxygen Oh, thing. that would be, yeah. So it's a new good. feature. So I think that that's what that's hoping to address, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. I wonder what we'll that will be after that. Cool. Oh, I'm I know, excited. right? Yeah. Definitely. So sleep apnea specifically, because I've worked with several clients who have that, and I definitely have seen them get improvement once they are eating an anti-inflammatory diet. They're not as inflamed. Definitely once they start to lose fat. What is that link between, I mean, is it just inflammation or what is the actual because i know most doctors will tell people with sleep apnea well you just have to lose weight yeah i just used to assume well oh maybe it's just the extra pressure on their Mm. their chest Mm -hmm. or their neck from the physical weight itself but tell us more about that um it's a couple of things you're actually right in some regards so when you have a lot of like visceral fat like on the belly it's just harder to Mm. breathe so you have all that weight your neck circumference is larger so there's a lot of fat around here so once again you're constricting your airway um, you also have fat pads in your tongue. So when you lose weight, I think the newest study is you have a re- 50% reduction in sleep apnea when you when you get to a better BMI, like a healthy BMI. And so you, you're losing that giant fat tongue can now, it's shrinking. And the theory is like you have more space for it to actually function properly and move out of the airway. So there's, a, yes. there's all of that, body and mouth. Okay, cool. Yeah, I read something recently that was saying that your tongue is actually the first place that you will start to gain fat when you're you're gaining weight. Yeah. And that often before people even notice, oh, my clothes are getting tighter or any other <laughs> yeah. physical signs of weight gain, that they will start to snore. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which I thought, wow, that's so cool. It's so interesting to know, you know, that like, oh man, if you just start snoring out of nowhere and nothing else is shifting, like <laughs> My Maybe let's address this. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. I know mouth taping is kind of a yeah. 
you know, it's having a moment. So having tell a, big us a moment. little bit about that because I know that people swear by it. Yeah. For me, just the thought of taping my mouth at night makes me panicky. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm that freaks me out <laughs> so badly. I think because I have struggled with breathing properly yes. and the idea of like, well, gosh, if I can't just mouth breathe when I need to during my sleep, am I going to have one of those awful panicky wake-ups where I totally. can't breathe? Like, what's going to happen to me? Yes. <laughs> what are your thoughts about it? Okay, so I personally, I mouth tape. I do. And you'll okay. find probably most myofunctional therapists are going to be mouth taping because we we are so obsessed with nasal breathing and like what it does. You will, you will wake up more rested and you will have more restorative sleep if you nasal breathe. Mm -hmm. Just hands down. I do say, though, like if you are needing to mouth tape, there's a reason behind it and we need to figure out why you're doing it. So is it because you have low muscular tone of your tongue and it's not functioning properly? Then we need to address it and actually strengthen that with exercises. Or is it a structural issue? Like does your lower jaw, is it really recessed and you you physically have difficulty even keeping your mouth closed during the day? Those people tend to need to mouth tape because they they will wake up no matter how much myofunctional therapy they do and they, their mouth will be open because they can't connect the lips essentially. So I always say to people, if you're mouth taping, great, but let's figure out why and let's work on your structure first and your function first. And if you want to continue mouth taping, great, let's do it. But let's figure out why you needed to do it in the first place. Because a lot of people yeah. do it and it's, it's, you know, they rip it off. They don't have success with it. And then I think, well, we still haven't, we haven't gone to your root cause yet. Like what's, what's happening here? Why are you snoring? Yeah, exactly. Um, that was always what I wondered about it too. Is this yeah. just, you know, essentially a bandaid on your mouth for, you know, in figuratively and literally. Totally. Um, there's also great mouth tape out there that goes, it's kind of like kinesio tape. It goes around your lips. So you okay. can still talk like we are right now, but it works on this muscle, the abicularis oris going around your, your lips. It works on actually tightening it. So you could get a drink of water in the night if you wanted to. You could say something. And so there's less uh, panic. That I could get my head around. Yes. <laughs> well, but I, I will send, I'll send that. you that link. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, please. Definitely share that with us. Uh -huh. I think a lot of people would be interested in that specifically. Cool. And you mentioned a Dr. Ken Hooks. I think yep. Dr. Ken Hooks is a sleep medicine doctor and he does at-home sleep tests. So he, you pay, he sends you the sleep study. Um, you do a sleep study over, I think he does like two or three days. He just wants to get good metrics on it. And then he will go over like deep into your AHI levels, your RDI. So you're looking at like not just your apneic indexes, but more of the upper airway resistance syndrome indexes, which fall below the apneic indexes. So he's looking a little deeper and he will personally walk you through your results, which is really cool. And that they start for around like 350 bucks. Yeah. So it's, if anybody ha wants to like check to see it, well, I know I sleep poorly. I know I'm waking up fatigued. Like maybe I have this and showing other symptoms of forward head posture. My shoulders are rolled or I have neck tension. Yeah, I would say then get a sleep study, get some more information. Then he's a good resource. Yeah, that's awesome because that's not crazy expensive. And man, like I don't think anybody finds the idea of going in and staying in some random place yeah. overnight for a sleep study no. appealing. And for me, like, I don't think I would ever even sleep as normally as I would at mm -hmm. home. So it wouldn't be an accurate representation <laughs> of how I sleep normally. Totally. Yeah. And it's going to take you forever to get into a sleep study. It's so hard to get appointments now. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So if you're wanting to know now, then that's a good a good option. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing for sure. that resource. That's great information. My other thing that occurs to me, 
I know that since the pandemic, we're all wearing masks and it's really hard to nasal breathe with the mask on Mm -hmm. because it's already kind of restricting the amount of air you're getting to some degree, depending, you know, if you're wearing a really well-fitting N95 mask or other that, you know, really truly fits around your mouth and nose. Mm -hmm. And I know that that was something I really noticed Mm -hmm. that I was doing was mouth breathing throughout the day (laughs) under this mask. And then once we weren't wearing the masks anymore, I was still kind of, I had to really consciously stop doing that and practice not doing that and being aware of it. Yes. Do you find that a lot of people are, are dealing with that or am I just a freak? No, so many people. I definitely, I mean, having that many years of, we created a bad habit in mouth breathing because like yeah. you said, it's it's difficult to breathe under those masks to begin with. And what I find in a lot of people is they were not aware of that they were mouth breathing so much. So whenever you ask someone, like, are you a mouth breather? They're like, no, 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 no. But as you start observing people throughout their day, or you have asked them, like, just be conscious of what your your breathing patterns are. They always come back to me and they're like, I'm 100% a mouth breather. They're like, I just did not realize it. <laughs> and I think a lot of it did start from the pandemic because like what you said, that daily, like, mouth breathing, it just created this terrible habit. And I also saw a lot of like uh, the lower jaw protrusion, just like people having like TMJ issues because they were kind of pushing their lower jaw out and breathing at the same time to kind of move the mask around. Sure. It dehydrates you really fast. There's lots of more like gum disease and just some nasty gum tissue because the gums do not want to be dry. They want to have the lips closed and they want saliva to be constantly flowing over them. So when you're mouth breathing, you have a higher incidence of cavities. You have a higher incidence of periodontal disease. It's really bad for your digestion when you mouth breathe because there's no filter. Um, and all that periodontal disease bacteria, you're sharing that down the gut tube and down to your gut, which we know is like the powerhouse of our immunity. So right. you just don't get any benefits from mouth breathing. It's actually every athlete you look at when they're really working out, there's a reason why they're wearing nasal strips. You know, you'll see football players <laughs> wearing those it's because you have more endurance when you nasal breathe Mm. so doing a workout nasal breathing a lot of people will start that and they're like i can't work out as hard as i used to but it's a different way of breathing and it takes them a couple months to get back to where they were but you will have a better workout and you will recover faster because you have more oxygenation to your muscles and your blood and you have more endurance so you'll see a lot of long distance runners like they are nasal breathing they are not open mouth gaping breathing that's when you get all those side aches yeah god that's so cool and i have to say since i've been talking to you about this and learning more about it Mm -hmm. i have been trying to breathe a lot more during my workouts and it is harder so for sure it is harder yep (laughs) you know luckily i'm not a big like high you know intensity Mm -hmm. cardio person if i do that i'm doing it in relatively short bursts I'm mostly weight training, but my weight training workouts can get really intense when I'm doing compound movements and yeah. it's still cardio. So when mm-hmm. my heart rate's really high, I'm breathing really heavy. Yeah, it's a challenge yeah. for sure, but I'm working on it. I would say and- too, to kind of go back to like, you know, working out, sleeping and mouth taping, because a lot of people will like mouth tape when they work out too, which is interesting to me. I Mouth taping is great, right? But what you really need to understand, like, can you even breathe through your nose? Because a lot right. of people cannot. Like, they have inflamed adenoids way up there or their turbinates, like those little squishy things up in our nose are really inflamed. So it's just, it kind of goes back to what you do. You really need to investigate, can a nasal breathe? And if I cannot, why can I not? Is it food related? Do I have an allergy? 
Um, do I actually have like a physical obstruction up there? And if I have those, I need to figure, I need to figure those out. So a lot of my patients, when they first come for their assessment, we go through a really extensive history. I go back to child like birth with them because we want to know down to, were you a C-section maybe? Were you nursed? Like all of those things, right? Because um, it, it plays a role. Were you premature? Um, and then we want to know like, what's your breathing patency? Like, can you even breathe in and out through your nose? And we go through like food allergies. And so a lot of people before they even start therapy, I have them go see an allergist or I have them go see an ENT because if you can't breathe through this, what I want to train, then we, it's not going to work, right? So I would say if you're working out with mouth tape or you're trying to do the mouth taping, nasal strips are a game changer. Absolutely love them. There's other like more environmentally friendly ways you can get little like silicone, like nasal um, cups to go up the nasal passage. They kind of like keep that whole, the nasion open for you. Because some people, it's just genetically, they have like a little nasal collapse of the nostril when they breathe in and it's really restrictive. So breathing yeah. that way is kind of like panicky for people. Um, so we need to open the nasal passages so that we can actually train like a calm breathing. Fascinating. <laughs> it's really, no, it deep, really deep, is. It's, there's so much, there's too many layers. <laughs> So myofunctional therapists, we, we really end up being a liaison between different healthcare providers. So like I might send someone to you like for like, I, I need a dietitian to be, to say, hey, like you need to change this, this, and this, and I need you to get allergy yeah. testing. I might send them, like I said, to an orthodontist to get unique palatal expansion of your upper teeth because there's no, there's physically no room for your, tongue. your tongue to go. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's so many different ways and we're really, and then, and then we work on therapy kind of in between that, but we're really trying to get people to the right humans to help them. It's so cool. And when you talk about food allergies, you know, I even said to you before we came on this morning, I don't usually eat banana. Yeah. I have it once in a while. And I had, I don't know, maybe a third of a banana in my smoothie this morning. And I feel a little more like mucus production, but that's definitely something that when people have a food sensitivity and they're eating it all the time, they may not even be aware of it, but their seasonal allergies are worse. Their sleep is worse. They're definitely experiencing more of that, you know, inflammation everywhere, which of course, if you're systemically inflamed, why would you not be inflamed in your nasal passages and everywhere else, yep. right? And I've seen this in my own life to be true for sure. I'm actually allergic to cats, but we have the most wonderful cat in the entire world. <laughs> and he loves to sleep with us, especially as he gets older. Yes. And so <laughs> it's not awesome. super helpful. Um, <laughs> he's worth it, but it's not super helpful for the nasal breathing piece of, no. piece of things. And so, yeah, I, I would definitely say that this is an interesting link because anytime that we have a food sensitivity, it's like people often assume that, well, if I'm not having this dramatic reaction to a food, it doesn't matter. Totally. Totally. But it could be causing these sort of knock-on effects that are incredibly detrimental to our overall yeah. health. I'm, um, um, I'm really weird. If I have realized, because I'm like you, I love metrics. I want to know the things. I want to try all the things. If it doesn't work, I'm not doing it. But if it does, like, great. I just figured something cool out. That's awesome. For me, I've come to realize that sugar, because sugar is so mm -hmm. inflammatory, but even if I have a little bit of sugar, I can immediately feel my nose getting stuffy. It's really, wow. but I never paid yeah. attention to my nose before. Like that was not something I was really like cued into of like food sensitivity is more like, does my tummy hurt or like, am I, how am I feeling like tired? Right. But now I'm really paying attention to like, what's my breath 
feel like after I eat something. Now that sounds weird, but I figured out some really, I, so I don't drink alcohol anymore because it really affects my nose. Like I get super inflamed in my nasal cavity. And do you think that's because of just the alcohol toxin itself? Or do you think it's the histamines maybe in the alcohol? I think it's, I think sugar? it's a both. I think I like, I'm super sensitive to those histamines and I think I'm super sensitive to like the sugar content after it like breaks down. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm the same way. Bummer. Histamine is an interesting, I know, right? <laughs> Histamine is a very interesting thing. And, you know, my background, I, I worked in a chronic illness clinic where they specialized in Lyme for years. And oh, wow. we saw a lot of people with mast cell activation syndrome mm. um, and people that deal with a lot of mast cell and histamine issues, histamine wow. sensitivity, and, which I do as well. So I've really had to pay attention to histamine levels in foods. You know, I take some natural things like nettles, quercetin to help with that, which have made a huge difference. Oh, good. Okay. My level of just congestion and, you know, ability to breathe through my nose. Mm -hmm. But do you see that especially, you know, in your work, do you see the effects of histamine frequently? I mean, obviously we think of histamines with seasonal allergies. Yep. But that's just one of the triggers. So what I see is I try to get people off like the main stuff. So like, you know, dairy and gluten just to like, yeah, just to be like, let's try to really lower your inflammation to see what happens and like really limit your sugar. That's hard for everybody to do. But there are people who are so desperate. They're like, I'll do it. Or if yeah. there's a kid coming in with super inflamed tonsils and adenoids, and like we're just we're trying to decrease, like you said, histamine level. And inflammation is as much as we possibly can to open up that airway. And the tongue, you know, when your airway is so closed with giant tonsils and mucousy sinus passages and the tongue with a lot of these kids that I see and the, just it's always low because you have to breathe through your mouth when you can't breathe through your nose, right? Sure. So you're stuck in this constant state of panic breathing. And this is when we start seeing the ADHD stuff in children is the lethargy because they're not sleeping well at night. And then when their brain should be developing and siphoning through the day's events and like creating those memories, creating like the little like, I went through this trauma during the day and your brain actually does like reparative work then, right? So if that kid's never getting into that zone and they're always having this interrupted crummy sleep and then they can't breathe, like they're snoring like crazy at night or they're a really active sleeper or another hallmark of poor sleeping kids is they wet the bed really late until their little lives like Mm, until like nine. Yeah. It causes a lot of attention behavioral issues. So in adults, when we're sleep deprived, we are lethargic and we're very like like pissy. (laughs) Yes. In kids, it's hyperactivity. So they will do whatever they can to stay awake. So that's why you see like crazy, you know, not really stimming, but they're just trying to like stay awake. So we'll see those ADHD symptoms. And that's why a lot of, you know, people are moving to more towards that research of is ADHD more of a sleep issue? Is is it stemming a lot from that? And if it is, why? And like what's what's the root cause of that? What's mitigating that? And to kind of go back to what we were talking about in the very beginning is I think obstructive sleep apnea in children or even sleep disorder breathing in children, you know, just snoring, I think it's really underdiagnosed. Uh, the patients that I end up seeing, it's they're coming from these amazing pediatric dentists who are like, they're looking in this kid's mouth and they're seeing his teeth are worn down to tiny little nuts because he's grinding his teeth so much, trying to yeah. keep his area open or dark circles under the eyes. Like he's all all of the things. And so they're peaked to this and then they come see me. And that's when we, we 
send them to a sleep study, and then they're finally diagnosed. But like the parent would never know. And sure. how hard to be a parent and be like, I don't know. I guess my kid snores. That's normal, right? It's not. It's it, it's a warning sign from your body that it cannot breathe, and your brain is not getting proper time to repair and actually grow. So when to adulthood, yeah, that's, I think in the next five years, we will have so much more research on ADHD and sleep. And um, I think in, for adults as well, like we're going to have a lot of that as too, because growth hormone is released in stages, the later stages of sleep. So like you lose growth hormone as you get older. Now, if you cr- crappy sleep and you're getting older, well, well, shoot, you know? Right. You know, that brings to mind too, Dr. Gibor Mate talks about the link between trauma and ADHD. And he feels that, you know, trauma is a huge cause of it. And the pieces that I'm kind of linking together in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if we're talking about like, hey, a person experiences a trauma, but then they're not getting the restorative sleep where their brain can actually do the kind of repair and like, healing, I guess, yeah. through that sleep stage where your brain is supposed to process these things. Totally. And you're still in a brain development stage. Of, of course, we're going to see detrimental dysfunction within the neurological mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yep. Yeah. Right? It's, it's huge. I mean, I think there should just be more if a child has ADHD or there's similar symptoms. Let's just say like you're a parent and you're noticing like, wow, my kid can't pay attention or they're always getting in trouble or they're really high anxiety. Like they can't mm. cope with like certain things in the day or whatever. You know, those are like some hallmarks, right? That's like, like a lot of kids nowadays have like these issues. And there's other things involved, right? Like this is not the one answer, but I think if you're a parent and you're noticing that about your child or you're an adult now and you were that kid, I think that's the number one thing to be like, I need to investigate sleep. I need to investigate their airway. Like why, what's causing this? I think it's it's a very simple thing. And I 100%, we don't appreciate sleep enough. But I think things like the order ring are like, helping people be like, oh, like my sleep actually changes when I eat something different. I think we're getting more awareness, which is great. We just need more action. For sure. And I think that it's important too, to understand that there are physiological consequences to emotional issues. It's not just one or the other, right? Yep. It's, It's everything is a system. We're all whole people that are emotional and physical. Yes. And these things can manifest in multitudes mm-hmm. of systems in, in our, you know, emotional life, in our bodies, mm-hmm. in all of these ways. And if we don't look at how they're all interconnected, I think we can really miss the yeah, the big picture, miss opportunities for real healing on a deep level. Well, I think you have a good point. It's like, you know, we talk about the word like hangry. Like we all know, mm-hmm. like if you don't eat, I get like angry or emotional. It's like, well, if you don't sleep, like, yeah, is there's, there's a consequence there. Yeah, I yeah. get emotional. So. What is that? Slangry? Sangry? Yeah, sangry. <laughs> Here you go. We just coined a new term. That's good. <laughs> I'm not sure that one's going to stick, but I we'll like roll it. With I'm going to use it. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> yeah. So, gosh, there's so much we could, you know, dive deeper on here. What are the things, Dana, that, you know, first steps or anything, anything we haven't covered yet that you want to share? I mean, I I told you that I was recently diagnosed with with ADHD, mm-hmm. a lot of women approaching or in middle age are diagnosed now because hormonal changes and things can actually amplify those symptoms. Yeah. We understand so much more now about how it presents in women mm-hmm. versus so boys different. and men. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. 
And I've heard people say in kind of a dismissive or critical way that, oh, well, everybody has ADHD now. Yeah. But I would say, first of all, we always see more diagnoses and more people coming forward when there is more awareness and there's a deeper understanding and people are able to better diagnosis, but whatever it is, whatever condition or disease, right? So sure, we're seeing more of that. But I think also, in my belief, the fact that we have such essentially just a contaminated food system, a terrible way of eating in general, like the standard American diet. I mean, we are eating ridiculous amounts of sugar, processed foods, these inflammatory oils, right? Even if we're eating vegetables, if we're not eating high quality vegetables that are grown in rich soils, like we're not getting the appropriate nutrition there. We're exposed to all of these you know, industrial farming chemicals, things like that. Our water has gunk in it that it shouldn't have. So do you think that that's contributing maybe to a higher instance of all of these developmental issues, sleep issues? Oh, 100%. Talking about? Yep, 100%. I mean, even talking about like, I bet you could have a whole show on like food dyes, you know, like how nasty those are or just like artificial, like or natural flavors. I think any subset of like medicine wants to be like, this is the answer, or like do this and everything is cured. Like we're all searching for perfection. And I think it can get really overwhelming for everybody to kind of take these deep dives and like do the research unless you're like psychos like us, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's fascinating and fun. But I think for most people, I think they they put that blanket statement of like, oh, everybody has ADHD because they just get sick of thinking about it. They're like, well, then nothing is good anymore, right? But I think you're right. Like we are in a weird food world right now and it's really hard to find nutritious, healthy food. You really have to search hard in the store to do it. And oh, it's so expensive. Yeah. And if that's like what you were just saying, like the inflammatory process starts with what you eat. It starts with your stress. It starts with your actual, like what's your structure? Like genetically, we're predisposed to look like our parents, but functionally when you're a kid, that's going to dictate your structure. So if you're eating lots of soft and processed foods, your jaws do not have enough stimulation to actually mm-hmm. tell your brain, like your brain's saying like, oh, I don't need to make the, a stronger arch to support all this heavy load. So you, we found as the industrial revolution was happening, like jaws started to change and people's facial structure started to look different. So there's just not enough, like you're not chewing or working for your food anymore because everything is ultra processed. So there's definitely a huge link in food consumption and like what we have now is like the squeezy tubes of applesauce, right? Like that's what oh, parents yeah. are their kids. Yeah. And that's easy, right? Like, I mean, I can't like, sure, can't like blast people for doing that, but also give your kids lots of like crunchy, hard things like meats and carrots and all like we need to be working for our food and eating healthy. I think it all goes together. As you know, like if you have something off in your diet, you don't sleep as well. I think it's it's about sleep hygiene, what you're eating, de-stressing, and figuring out functionally, like what do I need to change like muscular-wise to improve my health? So it's it's just it's a blanket of things, but that's why you find providers that can help you along the way. I think like we are here to help people. Yes, it's overwhelming. Well, I think it's really exciting. It can be overwhelming. And I mean, you know, I always encourage people too, because you know, if we allow ourselves, we could be completely paranoid and insane over all the chemical exposures and the this and the that and everything that's bad for us. I mean, look, you cannot avoid all those things. You just can't. It's just the modern world that we live in. But there are certain things that are within our control. And so within reason, 
yes. we should take the steps totally. to just take better care of ourselves and protect mm-hmm. our bodies in every way that we can. But the stress piece, I think that that's the biggest, most toxic yep. thing that we are exposed to constantly and that we often expose ourselves to, right? With yeah. mindset and not having boundaries, not saying no. I yeah. mean, I know that when I'm stressed, going back to the breathing, and I was just mm-hmm. talking with my body liberation group about this the other night, really pay attention. I always encourage them to pay attention to your breath throughout the day because I know for myself and for a lot of people, when we're stressed, we'll breathe really shallow. Yep. Yep. We're not taking full deep breaths. And that actually exacerbates the stress that we're under and makes us more stressed because our nervous system is like, well, now I'm not getting enough oxygen. And like, it's not in that parasympathetic state. Yep. But in addition to doing something like that, like paying attention to your breath, are there Things that people can start to do, Dana, just in their daily lives that would be helpful for them Mm -hmm. in this context. I think the number one thing is keep your tongue suctioned to the roof of your mouth. I've been working on that. (laughs) Yep. That's going to help you nasal breathe. So if if you can get nasal breathing 100% of your day, the benefits are going to be beyond keeping you in that very like de-stressed state. It's you've got to nasal breathe. There's so, so many... So many scientific benefits. It's unbelievable. I'd say keep your tongue in your palate. That's number one. Number two is get a good sleep routine. I think that's, you know, same time every night. I think that's great. And try to keep consistent with that. Myofunctionally wise, I would say find a myofunctional therapist or do a breathing course. Like I think breath work is so important and people are over breathing. That's kind of what we call it. Like what you were just saying, the chestal breathing is really bad for your health. There's a great place called the Buteco Clinic. You could take online courses on it. There's a lot of people in this area that are certified in it, so they can actually coach you through that. How do you spell that? B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. Okay, cool. Um, there's well. a man, his name is Patrick McEwen, and he wrote a book and he opened up the Buteco Clinics, but his book is fascinating. And he's a researcher and he got into this whole breathing thing and figured out, Wait a second. He's a math breather and he had asthma as a kid and he was just like not healthy. And he's a big proponent of myofunctional therapy and breath work. So we we all kind of work hand in hand with like his research and it's helpful. But I would say educate yourself too would be the other thing is read the books. I mean, James Nestor book, Breath is Great. Shirim Lin, she has a great book called uh, Breathe, Sleep, Thrive. It's going to tell you about how your face changes when you are dysfunctioning, how your sleep is a cornerstone of your health. I think the more people educate themselves, they're going to want to do do these things, right? So for me, I always want to like read it first and then like do the stuff. But if not, then I would say keep your tongue up, keep your lips closed, nasal breathe. And if you need to for the time being, try mouth taping and use a nasal strip. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I would start there. Yeah, I sleep is always one of the first things I try to address with my clients. And these additional tips, this is so awesome. I'm really, really just thrilled to have you here talking about this because I think it's going to be a game changer for people. I mean, lack of energy and fatigue Ah. is probably the biggest complaint that people, that women have. I mean, most people have, but the women that I work with and the men too, I mean, it's just, we'd all love to have more energy, right? And wake up feeling rested and feel like we're recovering from our workouts and feel like we're not just a ball of stress all day long with headaches and neck tension and we're all sitting all day. So yeah, we do. We assume, oh, it's just because I'm sitting all day or yep. I'm at my computer all day or whatever my job is nope. like you did. A cue, I would that cue into what your body and your mouth is doing. 
You got to be like you were saying, it took a lot of awareness for you to stop the mouth breathing after wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. It the awareness factor in therapy. I, I always tell people it's like 90 percent of therapy is your awareness. Like you just need to be really like give yourself visual cues at home to be like, oh, where where's my tongue? <laughs> what am I doing with my mouth right now? Because it's always a lot of people. It's just this open and breathing. It's really weird. Yeah. But, well, I'm excited about this. And I'm <laughs> I keep saying, I'm mean, gonna need to come work with you. So I just need to make an appointment and, and schedule out the time and prioritize it. But I encourage everyone to seek out Dana or seek out another myofunctional therapist mm -hmm. and help you with this. So on that note, Dana, where can people find you? I am located in Bellevue. Um, I have a little, a little tiny practice in Bellevue, Washington. So my name of my practice is Upward Myofunctional Therapy. And my website is upwardmyo.com. And you can even go on there. My phone consults are free. So if people are like even emailing me, I mean, I'm a awesome. nerd. So I, I like to talk about this stuff. So if you email me, I'll, e I'll email you back. A lot of people just don't know where to start. And a lot of people I cannot help, but I can steer you in the right direction. So I'm definitely not going to be one to just treat everybody. I want to uh, treat people sure. that will actually get results. But I'll provide a little link too. Like if I'm not in your area, if you have listeners outside of Seattle, then um, there's some wonderful myofunctional therapists all around the country that I know, and I will, I can hook you up with them as well. Perfect. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. And if someone is in the area, I think you told me once before, it's ideal to see them in person, at least initially. Yeah. So initially it's a 90 minute um, assessment. So we go through everything. Like I said, we go through your whole health history from birth to now, even going from like, do you have food sensitivities? Um, we take a bunch of pictures. I video you eating and swallowing. I want to see what your muscles are doing how you're yeah. functioning. Um, and then that helps me create a treatment plan for you. So everybody has a little bit of different dysfunctions and we're trying to target the different musculature that needs work or toning. And then also we work on breathing throughout treatment. So it normally takes about 12 to 15 sessions, depending on how great you are at the exercises. If you practice the exercises, it's just like physical therapy. Like you you go get knee surgery, you have to have physical therapy to retrain the musculature. So like we're retraining your musculature to function how it always should have been. So before you started kind of compensating for mouth breathing or something else or your allergy that plugged your nose as a kid. So we're trying to bring you back to your normal function. But yeah, after that, and then I, I kind of keep in touch with people after that. So I do a year follow-up um, just to kind of rework on stuff. And yeah, that's it. But yeah, 90 minutes in person, then after that, telehealth after that for most okay. of my adult patients. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been so fascinating. I'm such a nerd with this kind of thing, and a lot of my listeners are too. So <laughs> it's been really enlightening and great, and I so appreciate you taking the time to come on and share all this with us. Thank you for having me. Jeannie's the coolest, you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. I'll pay you later. <laughs> you do. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. All right, everybody. Well, I'll put all this information where you can find Dana in the show notes. And thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. Hey there. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also, check out the show notes for links to connect, follow, and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach-client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other. And do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Jeannie Oliver Wellness LLC or our producers.